Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. Our first scripture today is from the first letter of John. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed, and we have seen it and testify to it, and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and we do not what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is taken from John's Gospel. If you recall last week at Easter, we follow John's account, which was John 21 through 18, and we are picking up with the very next verse, 19 through 31. So again, we are in the gospel of John 20, 19 through 31. Listen for the word of the Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them 
and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told them, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas this time was with him. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So right now, for you sports fans, you golf fans, the Masters Tournament is in full swing. The Masters, if you are not a, a sports or golf fan, it's one, one of our nations, the U.S. Masters, one of our four major tournaments, the first one of the year. It's always played at Augusta National Club in Augusta, Georgia, so not too far from where we are. It's an invitational, so it's a little bit smaller field. And back in the day, it got started from Bobby Jones, who was a golfer. He got together with investment banker Clifford Roberts, and they purchased a former plant nursery. And when they had done this, Bobby Jones got together with an architect, uh, Alistair McKenzie, and designed the course. First played in 1934, and has become one of the great golfing traditions. So enter into that tradition sports writer, Herbert Warren Wind, W-I-N-D, now deceased, died in 2005. He wrote for the New Yorker and he wrote for Sports Illustrated. Although he covered different sports, he was most known for his golfing coverage. And in 1958, he referred to a specific area of the course, which was the second shot at the 11th hole, all of the 12th hole, and the tee shot on the 13th hole as the... Anybody? Oh, very nice. As the amen corner, still referred, and beautiful, oh my. When you think of Augusta, this is one of the spots that you think about on that beautiful, beautiful course. The amen corner. Well, where did he come up with that? When he was a student at Yale in 1935, there was a song, a jazz tune, by an artist by the name of Andy Razaf, R-A-Z-A-F. 
The title of that jazz tune was Shouting in the Amen Corner. Shouting in the Amen Corner. And from that, he applied that to that particular, again, section of the golf course that still is referred to as the Amen Corner. So today, that Amen Corner is shifted into a dark room filled with anxiety. Shouting in the Amen Corner happens when Jesus appears to these disciples. If you remember last week, we were in John's account of Easter. And John's account has Mary Magdalene coming first to the tomb. Jesus isn't there. She thinks he's been stolen. Where did they take him? Where is he gone? Doesn't know. Runs back. Tells the disciples. So Jesus and the beloved disciple run. Remember, they had that foot race. They're cruising. They run to the empty tomb. They see that it's empty. They go inside. Doesn't say what Peter thought, but it said the beloved disciple saw and believed. So it started then. Then they run back to the house. Okay. Then part two of that is Mary then comes to the garden where that tomb is. And trying to figure out where they have taken him, Jesus is right there in the form of the, what she thinks is the gardener. She doesn't recognize Jesus. Standing right there. And she calls him, calls her by name, Mary. Her eyes are open. She sees Jesus and recognizes that it is him, calls him teacher, rabbi, and says then to go and to tell others what you have seen. Go and tell my, my brothers what you have seen. So that's where it ended. So today we pick up again in the very next verse. They are in the upper room. They're in a room. Is it the same one that they had the Last Supper in? We're not sure. They're in a closed, locked room. Doors are locked. Why? John tells us specifically, for fear of the Jews. Why are they afraid of the Jews? Because they were the ones who facilitated, along with the Romans, the crucifixion of Christ. Because Jesus was a threat to their leadership, both the Jewish monarchy and the leadership in the temple. The priests, chief priests, scribes, Pharisees, all threatened by Jesus' radical message of love and grace. And while the law is important, it is not all about the law. It is about the spirit behind the law as well. So they're afraid. Think about their circumstance. It's Easter morning, but they don't really know that. For most of them, Jesus is still dead. Peter and the beloved disciple would have been trying to figure this out, but they didn't see Jesus yet. They just saw that the tomb was empty. So they're still trying to wrap their head around it. Only Mary Magdalene has seen Jesus. So they're in the room, and they're afraid that the Jewish authorities, which is a healthy and proper fear, since they took Jesus out, they were looking to take out the rest of the movement. Let's stamp it out here. Then we don't have to worry about anything being made up about this Messiah being raised again or worry about this political insurgency that this Jesus started. We got the head. Now we got to get the rest of the body of that snake. So a valid concern. They probably were being hunted. 
So in that locked door, windows closed, fearful, anxious, ridden environment, Jesus appears to them, just appears to them. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. A standard biblical greeting, but remember, anytime we hear peace, it is based on that Hebrew word shalom. Shalom is a broader, deeper, thicker, richer understanding. It's not peace as we understand it as absence of tension, but rather a more holistic sense of well-being. Mind, body, spirit, soul, all of it together. Peace be with you. Again, would not have been uncommon for them to hear and associate. So then the shouting in the amen corner begins. It's Jesus. He is alive. I don't believe it. He is here. They could see his scars. And there was much rejoicing. Except for our friend, Thomas, who wasn't there. Where was he? We don't know. Did he go out for food for the group? Did he have business to attend to for the group? Was he afraid of being with the rest of the group because they were being hunted? Maybe he thought he'd take his chances on his own. We, we don't know any of that. But what we do know is that he wasn't there. And interesting to note that those disciples saw Jesus when they were together in their community of faith. And only Thomas, who goes off by himself, doesn't see the presence of Christ. That's another whole sermon. We'll get to that another time. But I truly believe that we see Christ better when we are together or are informed and challenged and nurtured by one another. Our eyes are more open when we are connected through a community of faith. So Thomas comes back and they said, we've seen him, we've seen him. You won't believe it. We saw the scars in his hands. He spoke to us. It was a physical body, but he just appeared and then he left again. Thomas says, hmm, I really can't believe that until I see it and touch his scars myself. Okay. So then we fast forward a week. It's a week ahead. You would think after seeing Jesus being raised, if Christ appeared to us here right now and said, yes, it's true, all of it, go and do what I'm asking you to do, my guess is immediately following worship, we would be out in the world, in the streets, telling people what we saw, doing what we believe we are called to do as Christians in the world. What did they do after they got confirmation that Jesus had been raised? They stayed right there in their locked door room. We don't know what happened in the week. Maybe they went out in their back, but the sense we get is that they stayed where they were. Again, we pick up a week later and they are in the same space. What's different? Thomas is with them this time. And Jesus appears, same greeting, peace be with you. And he speaks directly to Thomas and says, okay, I heard what you said before, even though I wasn't there. 
touch my scars, feel my side, know that I am here. And the story doesn't really tell us whether Thomas did or not, because the very next thing, after the invitation to Thomas to come and touch Christ, he says, my Lord and my God, one of the great affirmations of the Bible. Often when I have drifted or I have realized or I have come into the presence of Christ and I know it and I feel it, I will respond with my Lord and my God. Yes, Thomas is doubting Thomas. He gets a bad rap, but it's not really about Thomas at all. Thomas is all of us. We all want the proof. We don't want to be fools. We talked about this some last week at Easter. But it's not about Thomas, and really it's not about us. It is about Christ. It is about Christ helping them to overcome their fears so that they can leave that locked room and go do what they are now charged to do. One of the pivotal phrases that Jesus says in the middle of this passage is, as God, as the Father has sent me, I now send you. So up until this point, they were disciples. Disciples, general understanding is that they are followers. You're a disciple of Christ, you follow Jesus Christ. And here Jesus shifts and says, in essence, yes, you are disciples, but now I need you to be apostles. Apostles, disciples, what's the difference? Disciple is to follow, an apostle is one who goes out. If you take that word apostle, apostle, it's got post right in the middle, like post office. Like when you send a letter, it goes out. Apostle is built on that same understanding. And Jesus is telling you, you cannot just be a disciple. That's the first step. You follow me. Come on. But then he says, now, as God the Father sent me, now I send you. So now they are being commissioned to be disciples and apostles to go out and to tell others. Well, does Jesus help them in any way? Absolutely. What does he do? He blows the Holy Spirit on them with his breath. If you remember, and I know you do, way back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when Adam in the second creation story is created, Adam's body is there, but it is as of yet lifeless. There is no life until... God blows God's breath into Adam and gives him life. That same word, ruach, spirit, breath, wind, all in that same zone of Holy Spirit and breath. We'll talk some more about that as we get closer to Pentecost. And Jesus, in essence, recreates these disciples through the Holy Spirit, gives them new life the way that God breathed life into Adam. The Holy Spirit that we celebrate at Pentecost, mostly we use Luke's account. That's the bigger, flashier, and and right, exciting version. This is John's subtle Pentecost. Pentecost is just, the word penta means five. It is 50 days after Easter. You have Pentecost. That's it. 
50 days till Pentecost. But John does it here and empowers these disciples with the Holy Spirit that will then send them out to be the apostles and disciples he needs them to be. So the first thing that they have to do is overcome this fear. The fear doesn't go away. The Jews haven't stopped looking for them and possibly hunting them, but they have to overcome that fear to to be witnesses of what they have seen on Easter. We are being called to the same. If we stay in this room together, more afraid of the fears in the outside world than our faith in Christ, we are only being half of who God and Christ call us to be. We are being disciples, we're following, we are learning, we are worshiping, we are serving. But if we are in this locked space, we are missing out on our call. We are missing out on being apostles, ones who are being sent. And fear is so prevalent in the world. Our task today is to have more faith in Christ than we have fear in the world. More faith in Christ than we have fear in the world. We can very easily go from here, recharged, refreshed, having worshiped, having connected with our brothers and sisters, having studied, having heard the word, being challenged. And then because we are afraid of practicing our faith, afraid of being Christians in the world, nothing until next Sunday when we are back in our locked space to place ourselves in the presence of Christ again. It defeats who we are as a church and as a people. We must have more faith in Christ than we do fear of the outside world. Henry Beecher Stowe, who was a pastor in the mid-1800s, preacher, abolitionist, brother of Harriet Beecher Stowe, the author. This is Henry Ward Beecher. Did I say that right? He said, we have two choices every day. We are presented with two handles. One is the handle of anxiety and one is the handle of faith. The disciples, when Jesus came, had the handle of anxiety. They did not yet believe to the point that they needed to, to be able to overcome that anxiety and step out into the world despite the fear and the darkness that existed in their world. And as much as we see in our world, their world, for them and their time was also at times dark and scary. And you think it's difficult for us to go out and share our faith? Think about them. When there was no established church, there was no one in their corner. Everyone was against them. And Jesus says, Father sent me. I did what I was here to do. Now it's your turn. But I won't leave you alone, Jesus says. I'll give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that Spirit will lead you. And it is that Holy Spirit that remains with us today. So again, our goal today is 
to make sure that we are not being ruled and guided by our fears. You can't ever dispel them all. But we cannot have more faith in fear and less in Christ. We must have more faith in Christ than we fear the outside world. And then we are to be apostles. Apostles. Apostles go out. Apostles do in the name of Christ and share in the name of Christ. I don't necessarily mean on the street corner, although that would be fine. We're not to go out and beat people with the Bible. That is not its function. We are to share our faith in word and deed. We are to reach out in the name of Christ and help those who need help, lift those who need lifting, support one another, so that the community will know that we have been sent by Christ. One of the greatest ways to gauge a church's efficacy and faith in its community is to say, if the doors were to be shut, would anyone know? If we were to shut down at first, as First Presbyterian Church, would the community recognize or feel the absence of our ministry? Not that this is a special space, which of course it is. Would they feel the absence of our ministry? And I hope the answer is yes. And I want us to continue to build out as the apostles we are now being called to be. So that people will say, oh, you go to First Presbyterian. Boy, they're doing some, some neat stuff over there. Or you guys are working hard. Or I know somebody who's working over here. Or I've seen this and I've seen that. Easter is not on one Sunday. We don't put it back in for another year last year. In our lectionary cycle, it is seven weeks until Pentecost. And it's not weeks after Easter, it is weeks of Easter. So the challenge remains for us to live into the Easter that we celebrated last week. So let us overcome our fears and let us be apostles to go and spread the word and the great news that Christ has been raised. Hallelujah. Amen.